You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Data breach and ransomware affecting airlines' customers. The Forpiex botnet operators say they're going out of business and everything must go. New warrants for the Australian federal police and cybercrime cases. U.S. federal cybersecurity roles and responsibilities. Rick Howard takes on adversary playbooks. Josh Ray from Accenture Security on the Biden administration's cybersecurity executive order and what it means for product security. And Indiana warns of a COVID-19 contact tracking database exposure. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, August 30th, 2021. Bangkok Airways disclosed at the end of last week that it had been the victim of an attack that compromised passengers' personal information, including name, nationality, gender, phone number, email, address, contact information, passport information, historical travel information, partial credit card information, and special meal information. The airline is working with the Royal Thai Police and has offered advice— like the familiar but nevertheless sound counsel to change potentially compromised passwords, and the also sensible warning to be alert for phishing or vishing attempts that might impersonate Bangkok Airways. They've also offered support in the form of helplines and dedicated email hotlines concerned customers can avail themselves of if they find they're in a jam over data or if they're simply concerned. ZDNet reports that the LockBit ransomware gang has claimed responsibility and threatened to release information if their ransom demands aren't met. An announcement Dark Tracer found on the dark web said, using title case before a final switch to all caps, quote, Bangkok Airways, we have more files, extra plus 200 gigabytes to show, and many more things to say. All available data will be published. End quote. LockBit says the deadline will expire today, but the gang has a track record of extending deadlines indefinitely, like a sophomore procrastinating on a term paper. They also have a track record of claiming to have data that they, in fact, do not. 
as they did most recently in their false claim of having hacked into Accenture. The record reports that the Forpix botnet has shut down, and researchers at Sijax have found that the botnet's proprietors are offering the source code for sale. If you're in the market, not that you would be, know that Forpix has a mixed reputation in the underworld. It's been profitable with its spam module and ability to hijack cryptocurrency clipboards, being consistent moneymakers. Forpix has also hired its botnet out for use by ransomware operators, among them Avadon, a gang that's recently gone into hiding. On the other hand, Forpix's own security has tended toward the slipshod, with other criminals able to either uninstall it or even substitute their own payloads for those the proprietors intend to deliver. Forpix is the most recent criminal operation to announce that it's suspending its activities, going out of business. It's worth remembering that this sort of announcement, as often as not, signals a rebranding as opposed to a retirement. Krebs on Security earlier this month offered a useful rundown of the ways in which criminal groups have morphed since this became a trend in 2014. A lot of the names will be familiar, and the successive identities are interesting. Vasa Locker became Babuk, which turned into Payload.bin. Defray777 became the cowboy-hatted Bandera-wearing Desperado Ransom X. Sekhmet begat Maze, which begat Egregor. Hermes rose to fame as Ryuk, which is connected to the equally well-known Conti. Bitpamer got twice as bad as Doppelpamer and then turned to Grief. Serbear became Gandcrab and then Arevil, or if you prefer, so Dinokibi. Darkseid turned itself into Black Matter. And finally, Game Over Zeus, also known as the Business Club, is now crawling the web as Indrik Spider. This long list of name changes isn't all that surprising. After all, it's not as if a criminal organization needs to take out a doing business as license or incorporate in Delaware. Just say you're now jittery Junebug and you're in business. A moral of this story is to take criminal announcements of retirement or professions of contrition and reform with the proverbial grain of salt, a big grain of salt. Australian federal police have received extraordinary authorities for the enforcement of laws against cybercrime in the form of three new warrants covering network activity, data disruption, and account takeover. The authorities extend beyond investigation to disruption of criminal activity. IT News says that the standard for issuing the warrants is that they be, quote, reasonably necessary and proportionate, end quote. The Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security had recommended approval of the bill, which had the support of both the Liberals and Labour. The Greens have complained that authority to seize a person's account to gather evidence of serious crime coupled with the ability to copy online material or even add, delete, or alter it in order to disrupt criminal operations or collect intelligence, is the royal road to a surveillance state. The government, of course, disagrees, seeing the new authorities as necessary to dealing with the current transnational threats. U.S. cyber czar Chris Inglis sees his role fundamentally as an exercise in soft power, Politico reports. Among the things the National Cybersecurity Director intends to do in the budget reports he'll render OMB in Congress will be to draw attention to investments that are not on the books 
but that should be made, as well as inefficiencies in existing spending. He does see a role for regulation. Quote, Enlightened self-interest and market forces only get you so far, he told Politico. There are going to be some critical functions where we must consider to what degree is it not optional to achieve a certain standard, end quote. Organizationally, although his shop is separate from the National Security Council and subject to closer scrutiny by Congress, Inglis sees no fundamental tension between his role and that of Ann Neuberger of the NSC. Their goals can be aligned, their roles and responsibilities easily deconflicted. And finally, if you're a resident of the U.S. state of Indiana, you may well be receiving a letter from the Indiana Department of Health warning, with apologies, that almost 750,000 Hoosiers, that's what citizens of Indiana are called, we note for the benefit of our international audiences, Hoosiers, they've had some of their COVID-19 online contact tracing survey data improperly accessed. The data includes name, address, email, gender, ethnicity, and race, and date of birth. The state of Indiana believes the risk is relatively low, but there's a small but real chance of identity theft, and Indianapolis wants to help all Hoosiers protect themselves. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And it is always my pleasure, I will go so far as to say, one of the highlights of my week to introduce Rick Howard, our chief security officer and chief analyst. Rick, uh, you have a special CSO perspectives this week. I know you've been looking forward to this. And the reason I know about this is because you've been talking about this for weeks on our CyberWire Slack channels. So why is this one so special to you? 
Well, first, thanks for those kind words, uh, Dave, and I will keep sending the monthly checks for you to continue to say nice <laughs> things for me. So let me answer the question this way. Have you ever come across an idea to solve some really hard problem that was so crystal clear in your mind that you just knew as soon as people heard about it, adoption of it would be swift and unambiguous and you would all be moving on to the next thing. But later, you are shocked to find that the entire world hasn't followed your lead. Like what you're talking about here. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, things like don't iron the shirt while you're wearing it, you know, kind of a rule of thumb, (laughs) right? You know, by the way, that's an actual warning label on some clothing because you know somebody actually tried to do that, all right? How about a line from one of our favorite movies, The Princess Bride? Never get involved Hmm. in a land war in Asia, okay? Seems like good advice, all right? Or or how about just take the damn vaccine already? I'm just saying, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Okay, Uh, once again, I will put on my hosting hat and say, how is any of this related to the current uh, CSOP episode? Well, I run across a lot of these ideas in my career, you know, cybersecurity ideas that were great but never saw the light of day. And I've generated a few of them myself over the years. But there's this one concept that I've helped develop that I refuse to give up on. It's called proactive defense and adversary playbooks. Rick, I have known you for for years <laughs> now, and you and I have talked about many of your Ideas, your interesting <laughs> ideas, uh, ideas of varying levels of merit. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. So why is this particular idea so special? Why, well, some would say stick with it. Others would say, why can't you let it go? Oh, it's a good, <laughs> I, I should be following your advice. The concept of proactive defense and adversary playbooks, it represents this idea that instead of focusing on blocking individual tools that bad guys use, you know, like malware or zero-day exploits, we instead build proactive defensive plans designed to defeat how specific bad guys operate in cyberspace. So, in other words, we just don't only block a tool like Eternal Blue that Sandworm Mm -hmm. used during the NotPetya campaigns. Instead, we block the entire sandworm attack sequence at every stage of the intrusion kill chain. So with that elevated thinking, we are trying to defeat the adversaries like Black Matter, you know, a ransomware group, or Stone Panda out of China, or even Cozy Bear out of Russia, not just the tools that they use. So in this episode, we explain with more detail about what this means, and we talk about the current state in our industry and why we've been slow to adopt it. All right. Well, I'm intrigued, and I look forward to uh, hearing the rest of the story. That is uh, the upcoming episode of CSO Perspectives. It is part of CyberWire Pro, which you can find on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. 
And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Josh Ray. He's Managing Director and Global Cyber Defense Lead at Accenture Security. Josh, it is always great to have you back. Um, you know, as you and I are recording this, uh, it's not that long after the Biden administration released their cybersecurity executive order. And I wanted to check in with you to see what in that order in particular caught your eye. Yeah, thanks, Dave, and, and glad to be back. Um, so, you know, really, we believe uh, at Accenture that this executive order is probably the most ambitious U.S. cyber policy directive we've seen. We really expect it to have significant impact on federal government, private sector, and the local government. But, you know, one of the things that really has jumped out to me is the product security aspect of it, right? The the ability for this EO to drive significant changes in companies' secure software design and readiness operations. And we think that if the industry and government you know, really follow through on this promise, it will definitely raise a security bar for everybody, both improving the resilience for U.S. companies and subsequently you know, the resilience of our country at large. Well, based on what you've seen in the executive order itself, how do you suppose those specific things might be rolled out? What might we see? Yeah, so one of the things I'm very encouraged about is uh, as part of the order that focuses on software and hardware product design requirements and really requiring companies to provide the government and uh, you know other customers with that that bill of materials that details the various code and components in a, a given product. This move, which I applaud the transparency, we really hope uh, hopefully give both the government and customers a better chance to proactively mitigate vulnerabilities uh, before they get exploited. What do you suppose a realistic timeline is here? When, when might we see actual things you know, hit the ground? When might we see real effects take place? Well, I mean, the hope is, is that you know, companies are out waiting for the stopwatch to start, right? Mm. And you know, we think that product manufacturers and, and vendors and CISOs and CIOs really need to start taking a hard look at their at their strategy and their capabilities to meet these standards now. And this is a very complex challenge, Dave, and and we've observed clients who do this well focus on a couple of things. Uh, They integrate product security into their strategy, their roadmaps, and their current and future business objectives. So they're aligning their product security with the ultimate success of their business. And secondly, they embed product security practices into their engineering life cycles from early planning through launch, right? So that all of the generations of their product remain secure and reliable. And this really ultimately helps them uh, extract the most value out of that product as well. Do you suppose this is going to be a competitive advantage for the companies who are able to, to take the lead in this? Absolutely, yeah. Now, first movers on this, I think, is, are going to benefit. It's going to accelerate their time to market. I think it's going to definitely increase the trust that... Uh, the government, as well as customers have in their product. And it's also an opportunity, right, to, to really build improved security capabilities uh, that can support future business models. And this will allow for really more direct focus on innovation uh, and ultimately product differentiation. Well, Josh Ray, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. 
for links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Carrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Balecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.